0: Is towards the end of the book of Romans, is that Paul's written this um, this long book, this dissertation, if you will, this explanation of the basics of the Christian faith. <coughs> I don't know about you guys, but many times I, in everything in life, when I start to have some issues, it's because I've walked away from the fundamentals. You know, whether it's sports, whether it's driving my car, whether it's just uh, things that I do at work. You have to go back to the fundamentals. And when you go back to the fundamentals, you realize you might have been overcomplicating the thing. And so Paul talks about, from the very beginning, the fact that human condition is that we are full of sin because of the fall. And so all of the problems that you see in life, they start there. Sin. Separation from God. Separation from people. And the reality is, is that it causes us to lose focus of what we were created for. Sin binds us. It puts us in enslavement. It blinds us. It removes our eyesight so we can't see spiritually. And then it grinds us. It takes us and it just whips us until we can't see straight anymore. And so sin has this power over us. And so Paul gives us the answer for sin. He says, hey, man is lost without God. And so God, being the first one to do something about it, he approached us and he says, I want to get you out of the hole you're in, I want to provide for you a savior. And so all of human condition can be summed up and fixed by Jesus. And that's why we were singing, give me Jesus, Lord. That's what I need. He is the answer to all my issues. And so uh, being in that, uh, Paul recognizes that he's a man with issues. He thinks, you know what? Maybe I could write a letter to the Roman church who has issues and they can relate with my issues and see how Jesus can change things. And so in Romans chapter uh, 5, he gives the, the solution for sin. In chapter 6 and then 7 through 8, he gives kind of the process of sanctification. Because when man gets saved, when he's born again, he is just that. He is an infant in salvation. Maturity and growth needs to happen. And so he talks about the fact that, okay, now that I'm saved, I'm more miserable than I was when I started. Why is that? Well, because I'm in the world And yet I've lived most of my life in the world. And yet God's called me to a new lifestyle. He wants to transform my life. And so in the meantime, I'm uncomfortable because I've got just enough of the world to want it. And I've got just enough of Jesus to realize he's the answer. I'm kind of in the fence or on the fence. And so I'm uncomfortable. And so the Lord goes, hey, don't worry. That's kind (laughs) of how it goes. But why don't you just continue to let your your way change into my way? Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean that he will give you whatever you want. It means that he'll change your heart's desires to match up with his. And so Paul expresses that in Romans 7 and 8 and then 9 through 11. He talks about the plan of salvation, how he's provided Jesus through the nation of Israel. And through the nation of Israel, though they've rejected him for a time, he still blessed the world through them. And though they don't believe in Jesus for a time... The beautiful thing is is that God's not done with them. His love can overcome that. And so he's still got a plan that's going to be fulfilled. And we're seeing it be fulfilled today because though Israel became a desert place for a long time, now all of his people are flocking back there in droves. And at the same time, it's no longer a desert, but God is pouring out rain. And we see that it's one of the most uh, largely known exporters of fruits and vegetables that are growing in the middle of this spot, the only way they get rain is if it, or the only way they can have anything grow is if it rains, because there's no rivers running through it. And so God is blessing them. And at one point, He's going to open their eyes. They're going to see Jesus for who He really was, and look out, because that means He's probably getting ready to come back. Uh, Israel became a nation in 1948 after having not been a nation for hundreds of years, and no nation has ever done that from being taken off the face of the earth as a nation and then all of a sudden resurrected out of seemingly nowhere. And so that being said, God through the pen of Paul just shows us that he is faithful above anything that we think that can overcome his plans or thwart his plans. And then in Romans 12, he talks about basically, you know, that our lives are now given to us and in light of all that God has done in providing for us salvation and and giving us a, a payment For our sins to turn away God's wrath. The beautiful thing is as a result of that. We can respond and and present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable before him. Which is our reasonable service. We've been blessed with salvation to be a blessing. We've been served so that we can serve others. And that's kind of something that God slowly works out in us. But as he does this, we become a fountain of blessing because he uses us. So here we are in Romans chapter 16. That's kind of a, a, a high, broad brush uh, painting of what was going on in Romans. But in Romans chapter 16, he, he's greeting and he's giving salutations to all the individuals that he knows are in the place where this letter is going to go. And I love this because when God impacts people, he uses people. And for Paul... He wasn't just what we see in Acts where he was just relentlessly going from nation to nation, city to city and preaching and just leaving and forgetting about it. But you find out through this passage we're going to study today that he remembered people's names. He knew where they went after they got saved. He remembered the first person he led to the Lord in Asia. He's going to say his name today. He remembers the people that have supported him while he's ministered. Because though Paul was this amazing guy that God used, the reality is he wouldn't have been nearly as effective had he not been surrounded by people who loved him and wanted to support what God was doing through him. And so we're going to get to see just a, a snippet of what God did in the other lives of those around Paul. So here we are in Romans 16 verse 1. And he's wrapping up the letter, which in usual Paul sense, since he's taken 15 chapters to get here. You would, it would make sense that in his you know, saying bye to everybody, he would use an entire chapter, a long chapter. But he says here, he says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centre, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. So Paul Wants to authenticate this letter. You may not know this, but there are people who lie. There are people who desire to deceive. There are people who are in the church and they want to draw people away from Jesus. You know, one of the things that Satan really likes to do is he says, you know what? They started going to church, but that's no big deal. I'll start going with them and I'll start casting seeds of doubt. I'll try to get them to not want to follow the Lord anymore. I'll make them jaded. You know, I'll I'll, I'll cause there to be hypocrites in the church. How many people have you ever heard say, I don't want to go to church with you. There's just a bunch of hypocrites there. My answer to that is always, well, why don't you just come and join us? You're going to fit right in. You know, because we all start our walk of faith as hypocrites. The reality is what God calls us is redeemed saints. Those who are no longer sinners. And if we all really have a good aspect of who we really are without Christ, we're like, "Eh, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of God's grace still. Even though he saved me, there's still some work that needs to be completed here. And Jesus says, you know, the the work that I've started, I will be faithful to complete. I am the Alpha, which is the beginning, and I am the Omega, I'm the end. I'm the one writing the entire book, and the book's not over until I say the end. Period. Amen. And so, what he says here and what he shows here <coughs> is that he's going to use this letter that he's written but he's sending phoebe to bring it now phoebe is a woman who she's a businesswoman she's on a trip she's already got to go to rome she knows paul she knows that paul has a heart for rome paul's writing this letter maybe they're sitting at a fellowship dinner one night paul's written written this letter and uh, he's like i gotta get this letter to rome and she goes hey i'm already going there why don't you send it with me okay cool so phoebe takes this letter and paul writes in here he says i commend to you phoebe I recommend her to you. It's like when you introduce two friends. Hey, so-and-so, meet so-and-so. You guys are of the same mind you've just never met before. And so Paul says, I commend to you, Phoebe. I introduce her to you. I bring you at one together. She's of the faith. And she's bringing this letter on my behalf. And what he's doing is he's basically making this letter legit. Because there were people going from church to church and handing out letters. Just like on Saturday morning, if you're ever home on Saturday morning... And there's these two ladies or a couple guys that show up at your door and they got long skirts and they're telling you about the, you know, the Jehovah's witness faith. And they're very faithful. And then there's other folks that come on bicycles wearing suits. Who does that? The Mormons, right? They show up, and they say, hey, we, yeah, we know you believe in Jesus, but you know, here's some other things you need to know about it. They try to add to the word of God. Now they come in smoothly. They come in saying flattering (laughs) words, but if you ever start getting out your Bible and saying, hey, but did you notice I've sat for hours on my porch in Farmington one day, hours, my day off, they come up to deceive my family, but maybe they don't realize it. Maybe they do. They come up to deceive my family, help them to follow some other gospel that's not in the Bible. And then while I'm sitting there going, okay, well, you believe in Jesus, right? Yep, okay. So I turn them to Colossians and I go, well, what about this? It says that Jesus is the Son of God. He's, he is God and he's the Son of God. What do you do with that? Well, no, he was just a good prophet. Well, my Bible tells me that he was the Son of God. Well, that's a bad translation. And they've got all these excuses already built in. And when you start asking the hard questions they'll go back to their car and they'll get this big old thick book, book of hard questions that we don't know how to answer, and they'll read to you what someone else wrote. People deceive. People want to turn you away from Jesus. And so Paul's saying, "Hey, I've sent Phoebe. She's authenticated because I sent her." And many times what he would do is he would stop the person that's writing down the letter because he was dictating it. He couldn't write very well. And he would say, hey, why don't you let me write this portion? Because they knew his handwriting. It was horrible. And so that that authenticated the letter, the fact that Paul said, I'm sending it. And he tells them, he says, I want you to take care of her needs. But he says, may you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many, and of myself also. She's helped me. Please be a blessing to her. She's She's been, made a great impact in my life. And so Paul says this. And what we're going to find out as we look at this list of people is that the ministry is way bigger than the mouthpiece. And I'm up here teaching, and I've been able to study this week because my wife has taken extra amounts of time to take care of a home, to bless other people that I can't necessarily get into contact with because it takes a lot of time to study. Paul was writing these letters. That meant he couldn't be making tents and making money. So somebody had to house him. Paul was also not doing very well because all the missionary journeys he took. And he couldn't take the letter from Corinth to where Rome was. And so he had to find somebody to take the letter. Now if he writes the letter down and then it never gets sent, what good is the letter? And so Paul is recognizing, he's letting them know the ministry is bigger than me. There are all these people surrounding me that have supported me through all these tough years They're just as important in God's eyes. And so whether you feel like you have a a big portion in the church of God, whether you feel like you've got a big portion in the things that God's doing in your family, recognize that the support is just as important as the more visible parts. And so Paul continues in verse 3. He says, Greek Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. Interesting, Paul had people that were risking their lives in order to save his. To whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, he says, greet the church that is in their house. When he says greet, the word means to embrace. Take them in as your own. These people are of the church of God. They're your brothers and sisters. Receive them. But he says there of Aquila and Priscilla, this couple that is listed several times in Scripture, one of which is in Acts chapter 18. Paul's met with these guys before, and he's actually invested in them, and they've served alongside him. And so he says, greet them. Now, they originally lived in Rome, but because of persecution and the leadership of Rome at that time, they were sent away. But what God God does is he takes the things that seem to us a really big bummer, And he uses them to grow his church because they ended up going with Paul and serving in Corinth, which was the city there that he's in right now. And they also went with him and served in Ephesus, which was a very, these two cities were very influential, rich cities. And God used them to bring the gospel there. And notice what he says at the end of the verse there. In verse five, he says, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Their house is housing the church. They're having home fellowships where people are opening their homes and having church there. And I think it's interesting. Many times you'll see a sign on the outside of a church building that says Arcadia Valley Chapel Church. You know, and, and we've got the same thing. But the reality is is that Arcadia Valley Chapel Church meets here. It's not here. It meets here. The body of Christ is not a building. I know I say that a lot, but the body of Christ that God is building up And as purchased with his own blood is the individuals that he's placed together to proclaim his truth from. And so we assemble on Sundays, not just because we have to or because we need to, but because the church visibly is seen when you and I are assembled together in one building, the building of the body of Christ. Each one of us has a part. Some of us are the foundation that's under the ground. You know, you don't necessarily want to look at the concrete that's on the foundation. We in our day, even now, if we've got the foundation showing above the ground, what do we do? We paint it, you know, or we cover it with dirt. But that's just as an important part as the blocks that make the more ornamental parts of the church. And so God uses each one of us built together, supporting one another, just like blocks, in order to continue to grow his (coughs) kingdom. And so Paul is expressing here, You know, greet the church that they have in their house. And everywhere they went, Corinth, Ephesus, and now in Rome, they have a church in their home. They've always invited people in. They didn't have building programs. They didn't have stained glass windows. They said, come to our house. We want you to meet Jesus. He's there. You know, and when they get there, they're like, where's Jesus at? And then they see all the people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. And whether they realize it or not, they're seeing Jesus. And so we, once a week at this point, get to come and see how Jesus is impacting each one of us. And we see the work of his hands, you and I. So verse five continues and says, greet my beloved Epineatus or Eponiatus or I can't say half these names. I just got to be honest. I haven't. He says, greet my beloved Epineatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. This is the first individual that Paul led to the Lord in Asia. Now, if you read the book of Acts and you see all the places he went, you're like, he remembers his name? And not only that, but notice he's writing this letter to Rome. This is years later. Paul's writing and he's, he's talking to Epineatus, greet him, receive him. But he's talking to him while he's in Rome. He led him to the Lord in Achaia. This is hundreds of miles away. So Paul's not only aware of his name, that he's saved, but he's also aware of where he's at right now. He's kept up with his sheep. He's aware of it, and he wants to encourage him where he's at. You know, the the best pastors they, they keep up with their sheep. Uh, I'm not very good at that. You know, at this point in my life, I'm, I can barely keep up with me. But what the Lord's showing me through this passage is that God cares about His sheep, and He cares about them through the local leadership in the church. And so Paul, he kept up with Epaphras before there was text messaging before there was phones, before there was email. Uh, He couldn't, you know, like, I don't know how he did it. But he did. He was aware of where his sheep were. Verse 6, Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Uh, Also notice in this list, there's a lot of women there. In that day and age, women were not looked at as people. And in many circles, that's still the case. They're treated more like property. But in Paul's day, even though culture said women were Worth that much, what Paul did was he encouraged the women that serve the Lord. He saw the value. (coughs) And in every Christian society where the gospel has had a real impact, you'll find women that are valued. They're looked upon as something to be cherished and taken care of. Not because they have to have us take care of them, but because they're valued because they're God's kids. They're our sisters in Christ. And so Paul writes here, he says, greet Mary who labored much For us, he doesn't say much else. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Many believe that these men were actually apostles. Uh, My take on it is that they were known by the apostles. They were seen to be faithful. They had a good reputation among them. It also says, he he names them as my countrymen. Uh, I believe that they were from Judea and Samaria. They were from Israel. And also, he says, my fellow prisoners. So at some point, they had been in jail together. That doesn't mean that they robbed a liquor store. That means that at some point, they were put in jail for their faith. And so while they were in jail together, they got to know one another a little better and encourage one another. Um, He says, they're of note among the apostles, and they also were in Christ before me. Before Paul got saved, these two men knew Paul before Christ. And so they got to watch his entire life. They saw the difference from the zealous Christian persecuting rabbi to the point where Paul was actually being obedient to the faith, obedient to Jesus. And so no doubt they had expressed and experienced great joy as they watched this man who was dragging people out of their homes for being Christians to a man who was letting the Lord drag him all over the countryside to share the gospel. Um, verse 8, greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachius, my beloved. Greet Apellus, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Um, I think it's important to note, Amplius, Urbanus, Stachius. And Apelles were common slave names. They were names that were oftentimes given to those who were slaves. They were owned by someone. They were servants in their house. They were basically property. And I think it's important that Paul noticed these guys, and he calls them beloved. Jesus, when he talks about his disciples in the church, he calls them his beloved. When you read the Song of Solomon, and Solomon is writing this poetic love song to this woman that he loves, he calls her beloved. This is not just a, I love you. This is a this is someone who I cherish, I love. This is someone who is dear to me, almost as dear as a spouse. Someone, There's no greater love. And so, Paul's expressing, I love these individuals, but I think it's important to notice that they are slaves. The gospel is reached not just to those who are of high uh, place in society, but also those that people would consider nothing, just servants, just people that blend into the background. And the gospel does that. It doesn't just reach a certain class. In Christ, we are all on a level playing field. We're the redeemed, we're the church. And so God sees this, and he impacts his followers to understand this, and he also, through the heart and the pen of Paul, he reveals this to us, that, that in Christ, we are all beloved. And then he expresses there, He says in verse 11, no, excuse me, verse 10, he says, greet Apelles, approved in Christ. And the word there means to have been tested and found faithful. To test something and approve it means that it went through a rigorous amount of tests and when it came out, it got the stamp of approval. I find this interesting because he couldn't know that unless he watched Apelles go through trials and still follow Jesus anyway. May it be said of all of us. May we be able to, you know, may people say of us and be able to stamp on our gravestone, tested and approved in Christ. Because one way to know whether or not you're in the faith is when you're tested and how you respond. You'll, you'll know whether you serve the Lord or whether you serve your own belly, your own desires, your own stuff. God shows us through Apelles here, even though we don't know anything about him through the pen of Paul, Hey, this guy was tested and found faithful. He went through life. He experienced trial and tribulation. And, and it could still be said of him. He was definitely a Christian. Because he responded like Christ. Verse 11. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of narcissists who are in the Lord. These are very Greek names. But notice he says, greet these men's households. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. I wonder if Aristobulus and Narcissus were maybe those who were heads over households, but they weren't saved, but the ones that were in their homes had been reached by the gospel anyway. Just a devotional thought. He says, verse 12, here's one that's interesting. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who have labored in the Lord. Tryphena, the Greek word, means Luxury. Trifosa means luxuriating. And so you can tell just from their names, you know, it's kind of like if you've ever heard someone and maybe, I might be putting my foot in my mouth. Have you ever heard any, somebody's named like Fifi or Fiona? Like you think of somebody that maybe is like a princess or well thought of or from high society. If you guys know people by that name, then totally disregard what I, I said. But, you know, it, people's names are very important in the Bible and Trifena and Trifosa. Had very dainty, delicate, you, you think that they're going to the ball on Saturday night and they're going to have people that want to dance with them and they'll, you know, they'll have gloves on and it's very beauty and the beast. But the reality is, is Trifina and Triphosa, Paul had to be giggling when he wrote this. Trifina and Triphosa labored much. People that are from very, very high class where they have servants, they don't labor at all. They don't sweat. They glisten. You know, they they don't get their hands dirty. But what Paul writes about them, and I, I think he had a smirk on his face when he wrote it because of the irony, is Trifina and Triphosum, luxury and luxuriating, they weren't. They labored. They labored in the Lord, and that's what we know about them. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Persis is a woman's name, and it implies that she's from Persia, uh, verse thirteen, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. greet Rufus and greet his mother, who was also mine. Now this doesn't mean that this they shared the same mom. This means that this mom of Rufus apparently took a personal interest in investing in paul and in, and being a mother figure in his life. I praise the Lord for the women that have done that for me. you know um, I've got ladies in Farmington. I've got an individual down here that's taken an interest in me and my family. And because of that, uh, we're encouraged and we're built up. And there are many women who probably have never had children that have been more moms to people that were never their true blood kids that have impacted the kingdom of God in many ways that they'll never know. And we need those ladies. Um, But I think it's interesting also that the name Rufus comes up in Mark chapter 15. So turn there with me. Mark chapter 15, verse 21. Apparently I put my note on the wrong page. It says, while Jesus was on the way to the cross, he was carrying his you know, the cross beam that they would eventually attach and hang him from, They made him carry it from the point where he was um, condemned to death to the point where he was put to death physically. And so while he was carrying it, he had been beaten so severely that he lost so much blood, his body just couldn't physically continue to carry it. And so he fell. And so, of course, the, the nice Roman guards, they beat him and whipped him and tried to encourage him to get up. And when he couldn't, they grabbed a guy out of the crowd that was walking alongside, that was watching what was going on, by the name of Simon the Cyrenian. And when they did that, Mark chapter 15, verse 21 says, they compelled a certain man, Simon of Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, whether or not that's actually the case, many uh, Bible scholars that are way smarter than me have done the research. Many of them have come to the conclusion that this is the same Rufus that Paul's referring to. And so as he was coming out of the country and passing by, they encourage him, hey, come and carry this cross for Jesus. Now, apparently who's a big man, and so for him he did that. But it seems that if this is in fact the case, that even though the gospel hadn't penetrated his heart, when he got to identify with Christ and, and be a part of the suffering that Jesus was going through and to see how Jesus responded to it on the way to the cross, that made a big impact on, on Simon. And we see this, if this is in fact the case, here in Romans 16, because he gets special mention, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine, Rufus being impacted by the gospel through his dad. Dads, we have a great impact on our children. We need to not take that lightly. What we love, our children love. If Simon fell in love with Jesus, uh, the reality is what you really love, your children will love. And for me, it's convicting because many times Lucy loves lots of stuff that uh, I hope isn't the main thing in her life. They're not bad things, but I want her to know that the main thing in our life is Jesus. So he says there, I um, <coughs> lost my place. Uh, greet Asyncretus, Philagon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and this brethren who are with them, and the brethren who are with them. And then he says greet Philologos, and Julia, Neuros and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with him. Notice a lot of those names are actually Greek God names. They were named after the gods their families followed, and yet the gospel got beyond that and and gave them the truth, and their eyes have been opened, they're following Jesus. And uh, so notice all those names, but also notice in verse 15, Philologos, if you break down his name, Phileo, actually means love, like Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. Uh, Phileo means love, and logos means word. So perhaps he changed his name to mean lover of the word. Uh, The word was with God, and the word was God, Jesus. And so I love that, because some of them said, you know what, God's given me a new name. I'm a lover of the word. And then verse 16, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Now he's writing, he's giving them greetings from the church he's writing from. He's in Corinth. All of the people that are around them are gonna be mentioned as well here in verse 21 through 23. But before he gets there in verse 17, he mentions another group. He's mentioned this big long list of individuals and I love that because do you know that God knows your name? God knows you personally and he's aware of what you do with your time and your place. Now, for some of us, that's incredibly encouraging because we feel like we labor in the midst where no one sees. And for some of us, that's convicting because we know what we actually do. Uh, God knows this for what we actually do, not what we portray ourselves to be. And so, here we are. Paul's listed this list of names. These are names that are no doubt written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then there's this other group, and he wants to make sure to make quick note of them. Verse 17, he says, I urge you, brethren to take note of those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but they serve their own belly. Now in that culture, it wasn't just, you know, they serve their appetite like they, what they want to eat. When it says they serve their own belly, uh, what does your belly want? Your belly has an appetite, your own uh, desires, your own So what he's saying is they don't serve Jesus, they serve whatever they want. They are their own master. They are their own Lord. And so they've got hidden motives, but they're not hidden from the church. He says, I want you to take note of those who cause division, those who aren't in unity in the church, and those who cause offenses. So I looked up this word because I like looking up words that I don't know what they mean. And what he says there, offenses are... um, Scandal, to set a trap for someone, to make occasion for those within the church to fall or stumble upon. They, they set up tripwires into the church to try to stop the work of God. Notice I said try to stop the work of God. They can't. Paul's gonna say that. But then he says to cause divisions means to divide believers in the church. And so Jesus had strong words for those who would cause division, who would cause scandal, who would lay a trap for those inside the church. Um, in uh, Luke chapter 17 verse 1 he actually says okay, hopefully I marked the chapter I think I did I forgot to put, move my bookmarks that's alright that will give everyone time to turn a lot of time apparently Luke 17 verse 1 this is what Jesus warns of he gives an admonition which means a A very strong warning, like you do for your children. Don't run out into the street. Don't get in a car with somebody you don't know. Don't talk to strangers, you know. He said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. In other words, there are gonna be people who come and offend. But woe to him through whom they do come. Here's what he says. It would be better for him, the offender, if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones in the church. Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, forgive him. But for those who cause division or are going into the church trying to cause dissension and problems and try to hinder the work of God, how does he say to deal with them well if we go back to our passage there he says take note of them and avoid them don't deal with them let god have his way with them because the reality is is they will be revealed within the church those who don't follow the lord proverbs chapter 26 says this I'll try to get there i didn't make a note in this one either you know, you always make these mental notes thinking that they'll somehow come out in the wash, and then I forget. Proverbs twenty six twenty four says he who hates disguises it with his lips, and lays up deceit within himself. When he speaks kindly, don't believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. And though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. They come into the church. That's where the light resides. The church of Christ, the reality is, is God shining his light on individual hearts. They'll be seen for what they really are when they come and try to fellowship with other believers. People will find them out because the Spirit will find them out. He will shine his light and they'll be revealed. And I love that. That's encouraging because sometimes we feel like, well, how can we fight against an enemy we can't see? How can we fight against Satan if he's desiring to cause problems in the church? And what Paul says here, is he says, you can know them, verse 18, for those who are such do not serve Jesus, but they serve their own belly. And here's what they do. By smooth, flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. They'll have smooth talk. They'll use Christianese. They'll use Bible words. And they'll sound so good. But sometimes it's so good It's too good to be true. And they'll have flattering speech. They'll say all the things about you that you would love to hear people say about you in order to get gain, in order to to turn you away from the truth. Verse 19, and this is why they will do it. For your obedience has become known to all. Your obedience to the gospel is known to all and it's known especially to the kingdom of Satan who would try to stop you. And so here's what he says. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. I want you to be prepared to do what is good and I want you to be uneducated. Simple is the word ignorant. I want you to be ignorant of those things which are evil. I want you to be well trained up in those things which are good. Well, how do we do that? First Peter tells us that in God's word we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness in the person of Christ Jesus. So we can look at him and we can learn. We can be taught. And then he says, And as a result of this, as you're wise of what is good and ignorant of that those things that are evil, he says the God of peace, as a result of this, will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So in Genesis chapter 3, and I know I'm going a little bit long here, but this is important. Why should we trust God to crush our enemies underneath our feet? Why should we trust God to do anything? There are many people that are trusting God to do things for them that he never promised. But God's told us specifically in his word, these are the things I promised to do for my children. And in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, after the fall, the Lord pronounced a curse on Satan, the serpent. He said, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly, you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put war or enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Those who are from Satan, he'll put war between them and the seed of the woman. Who is the seed of the woman? You think of the seed, you think of the man. But in this case, the Holy Spirit conceived in a woman, Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman. And so he put war between Jesus and... And Satan, and the beautiful thing about that is, is that we are his children. We are the descendants. We're brothers and sisters of Christ because of what he's done. And so he's put war between us, the church, and Satan. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He will put Satan underneath the feet of the church. And so he says, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. So let me read the last part of this and then we'll close. Verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker, Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my countrymen greet you. These are all people that are with him. He says, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Paul said, hey, you wrote the whole thing. You may as well get to at least have a little cameo. You know, hey, I here wrote the letter. Um, I greet you as well. Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church greets you. "...Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you, and Quartus, a brother." Erastus is the treasurer of the city of Corinth. Corinth is a huge city. It's not like our towns. In order to be in a position like this, you have to get elected in. Even in our day. And so imagine having this kind of influence over the city of Corinth, and yet he's a follower of Jesus. God's got his people planted in different spots. Um... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Notice that. Verse 20. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, a mystery is something that can be found out until now it's been cloaked but the Lord has revealed it it's something that can be found out mystery is not something you can't figure out um, he says but now made manifest or revealed by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith to God alone be alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever amen everything I've written in this gospel in this this letter to you is for the purpose that Jesus Christ would be glorified in Rome and to the ends of the earth. And so if you read anything in this letter that I've written and it causes you to not bring glory to the name of Jesus, you've misinterpreted it. Because that's the purpose. That's why I wrote. But this last part is kind of what we would call a benediction in kind of high church settings where they, they read this prayer, or this blessing. So Paul's saying, To him who is able to establish you. To him who is able to take care of you. To him who has been revealed to you through the scriptures. For the purpose, for obedience to the faith. To God alone wise be glory to the Lord. And so Paul has talked about two groups of people. He's talked about those who are helpful in the ministry of God. And those who are detracting and trying to stop it. My question for you this morning, and it's just a simple challenge, is... Are you individually a help to the kingdom of God or are you a hindrance? I ask ask my my daughter all the time when I get home. She's sitting there helping mom. She's up on her little stool and she's mixing stuff and they're making something or they're doing a craft. I always come home and I go, Hi, Lucy, how you doing? Good. Hiya. And I always ask her, Are you helping mom or are you hindering her? (laughs) The answer is usually yes. But individually... In your lives, ask the Lord, am I helping your cause or am I hindering it by letting my cause get in your way? Because many times what we're doing is we're calling on the name of the Lord for our help. And what he's called us to do is be a part of his plan of salvation for the world. And we can use our lives to glorify him or (coughs) to build our own kingdom. And the reality is they will always fight each other. And what the Lord's called us to do is to be a part of his plan. And what you'll find is if you'll do that, you'll have a glory word. You'll have an exciting time at the end where you're going to go, God's so good. To him alone be the glory. So may that be the case for each one of our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much.